Hey, it's Ginger here. We do talk about suicide in this episode, which I know can be distressing. So if you need resources or support, go to beyondblue.org.au. And for 24-hour free counselling in Australia, the number for Lifeline is 131114. Please look after yourself. I met a builder recently who repeated something from the banter between the boys on the site and it was both unsurprising but also just really shocking. Common site chat was talking about, you know, how hot the smoke mole was or something like that and, like, all the things they'd like to do to them, that sort of thing. Um, how hot who was? Sorry, can you repeat oh, that? It's uh, the girls who drive around in the little trucks that sell food. Yeah, there's a lot of different names for them, but where where I'm from and around where I'm from, they call them smoko moulds. I know, I know. Why am I so surprised? Except I honestly thought we'd come such a long way and none of the men in my life would ever dream of calling a woman a smoko mole. Would they? Maybe it's just something they wouldn't say when I'm around. Chris runs his own home construction business, and if you're into this sort of phrasing, you might call him a typical bloke. But lately he's been questioning the idea of so-called typical bloke behaviour, or at least the behaviour that he's used to on building sites. The industry is full of hot-headed young males, basically. I think probably the biggest problem within the, the industry is the fact that To be a man, you have to never show your emotions, you know, never cry, never talk about your feelings. All of those things can, yeah, just a massive list of things that you you can't do otherwise you're you're a pussy or a girl or whatever it is. I've been lucky enough that I don't have to deal with that uh, that sort of culture as often anymore because I have my own team of guys and um, I like to run things a bit different to the standard carpentry or builder sort of thing. In other words, as a manager, Chris has set a standard for acceptable behaviour in the workplace, which sounds kind of reasonable, doesn't it? But maybe it's not actually such a simple idea when you realise that Chris, like a lot of us, has actually descended from generations of ingrained ideas of masculine norms. So things like men are strong, that winning and dominance is of utmost importance, and that talking about your feelings makes you sound like a girl, which is apparently the worst thing in the world to a bloke. One of my employees and I, we went to the pub one night before we went fishing the next day. We had a fair few drinks and he just opened up to me and started telling me all about his life, basically. And for the first time in my life, I actually listened. I was well and truly out of my comfort zone, but I sort of just pushed past that because I wanted the best for my employee at that stage. It was literally from that point on, he has just been an unbelievable employee. I noticed a massive change in his just how he treated me as a boss he gained a lot of respect for me in that that moment and that's literally the only thing that's changed is is that i i gave him a safe space to talk 
This is Seriously Social. I'm Ginger Gorman. Toxic masculinity and rape culture are in the headlines once again, and every woman I know is furious. But if it's okay with you, I'm not going to delve into the specifics. What I really want to talk about is actually how we got to this point. What is it about our history, that socialization that's gone on for generations, that means we still think masculinity is about strength and competition and aggression and power? And why can't we see how damaging those traits are, not just for women, but even more so for men? There's a lot of men in the construction industry that are just suffering in silence. And there is a a large number of them that will eventually attempt suicide or commit suicide. Later in the episode, I'll fill you in on how Chris and some other men too are working to shift those masculine norms. But first we need to understand what are masculine norms? And in Australia, one way to do that is to go way back to 1788 and the arrival of the First Fleet. Masculine norms are the standards or the imperatives of behavior that dictate how real, quote-unquote, men should behave. Pauline Grosjean is a professor of economics at the University of New South Wales and a fellow of the Academy of the Social Sciences in Australia. So boys shouldn't cry. It's weak to go and see a doctor or a psychologist. You need to toughen up. Being a nurse or a teacher is a girl's job. And on and on and on, right? Yeah. One more set of masculine norms is women should take care of the house and children and men should just work. So the primacy of work over family life, I think, is another important one. And why are masculine norms a problem in your view? Some people define hegemonic masculinity as the legitimization of norms that maintain a strict social hierarchy in which women are dominated as well as other men who don't adhere to these norms of masculinity. So, you know, who try to be men in other ways. That also implies that you legitimize the position of power of some groups over other groups. I think it's also a problem because you see a number of outcomes that are impacted by the strength of these masculinity norms. And you can see this, for example, there is a, um, a survey that is done in Australia, which is called Ten to Men, which is specifically a survey of masculinity that follows men from 10 into adulthood. And that looks at, um, that measures masculinity as adherence to a set of behavioral prescriptions and beliefs about how one should behave And things like unhealthy behavior, smoking, drinking, thoughts about self-harm, suicide, assault of other men, sexual coercion of women or other men. And you see that these things are really strongly correlated. So men who adhere strongly to these norms of masculinity are also men who are more likely to report that they have attempted suicide or have thought about attempting suicide are more likely to report having engaged in sexual coercion over other individuals. 
they are more unhealthy because they smoke more, then drink more, etc. Another set of outcome as well is what we call in the paper occupational gender segregation. So the willingness of men to do masculine jobs. And these masculine jobs are generally in the brawn sector, so use physical force. And if we think about technological evolution or trade shocks, you know, the future of jobs is not in these traditionally masculine jobs. The future of jobs is in the education and health innovation sectors. And so that can also create a mismatch between what jobs are available and what jobs want to do, and that can create unemployment. Pauline co-wrote a paper recently which looks at how Australia's convict past has shaped the masculine norms that we live with today. At the start of white settlement in Australia, there was much more men than there were women. So you have this imbalance in the sex ratio due to several things. I mean, the first reason is convict transportation itself, which is disproportionately male bias. So you have a lot more men convicts compared to women convicts. But even free migration initially is very male biased because it's mostly men who move to take advantage of economic opportunities in Australia, which are in agriculture, even later in mining. These are all male, traditionally male activities. So you have this very biased male sex ratios and and that lasts for quite a long time. And I think another important aspect of it as well is that it's really at the start of white settlement. So it's really this, what some historians in income is called critical junctures, is that the potential for this type of event to have a long-term influence on culture is big because you sort of set the initial culture and then people later on will come and migrate, etc. but they will tend to adopt the views, the behaviors that are already there. And so here the idea is that because you have these very specific circumstances, people start behaving in a certain way because they respond to incentives and they respond to the environment that is around them. And so they behave in a certain way. And these behaviors then become cultural norms because other people copy them or because you transmit them to your children, or because as children you tend to do the things that your parents did. And so you have these historical shocks that influence behavior at a point in time, and then it becomes imprinted onto cultural norms because they become standards of behavior. So when you looked at the impact of convict transportation and you looked at the unequal sex ratios and you were trying to work out the social consequences of that, what did you actually find? So we found that in areas that were more male-biased in the past because of convict transportation. So we really go back in the census to the times of convict transportation or as close as possible. We find that in those areas that were more male-biased in the past, today there is higher levels of violence. There is higher rates of male suicide, but not female suicide. There is higher rates of partly preventable male mortality, so behavior that we associate with help avoidance behavior, so in particular prostate cancer, because as you know, the tests used to detect prostate cancer is violating standard standards of masculinity. And we also find higher segregations of men into stereotypically male occupations. And so typically this is, you know, metal workers and metal fitters, carpenter, car mechanics. And we're trying also to look at the political manifestations of these norms. And for this, we use the 2017 referendum of sex and same-sex marriage. 
And we find that in areas that were more male-based in the past, fewer people voted for yes. Let me get this straight. You're saying that basically because of convict transportation, we've inherited these gender norms which are negatively impacting us today. Not necessarily of convict transportation, but just because there were so many more males compared to women. And that created very intense male-male competition. And when guys compete with other guys, they tend to do these kind of things. They tend to be more violent. Um, another important outcome that we look at is bullying in boys. So we find higher rates of bullying in boys, not girls, boys. So it's really this manifestation of intense male-male competition. But Pauline, how is it possible that with all the outside influences of modern day culture, we're still hanging on to this stuff from hundreds of years ago? We're still perpetuating it. And not just across the whole society, but in these particular pockets that had higher male ratios. Yeah, so there is a number of studies that now show the very long-term persistence of historical events. So there is studies in Europe that show the persistence of anti-Semitism in Germany over 600 years. I've written myself about the persistence of violence in the U.S. South due to settlement of Scots-Irish people in the 18th century. And, and the idea also with violence is that these things tend to be persistent because if you, so say, you know, you have no inclination for violence personally, but you move into in an area where there is a lot of violence and men behave in a certain way, people tend to adapt to these things. It's a very costly individually to deviate from these norms. There's so many questions I've got here. First of all, I want to know how is this passed on? Like, and where is it passed on? Is it passed on in the media? Is it passed on in families? What is the mechanism? Schools are a socialization mechanism. Media is a socialization mechanism. Your parents are a socialization mechanism. And so all of these environments, the church is a socialization mechanism. That's the thing is that once you're in a cultural equilibrium, it's very hard, it's very costly for individuals to deviate from it. And I think there's evidence from several of these things. So we find these strong results on bullying in schools. And so I think this is one of the way it transmits over time. Young boys are socialized early into a certain pattern of behavior. And then when, once you're socialized in infancy, it's, it's hard to change your behavior. Then we also find some evidence of transmission in families. So, you know, we find that the link from historical circumstances to present day behaviors are only there for people who are of Australian origin right? or is stronger for people who are of Australian origins. Men place these behaviors in their groups very strongly. So you often see men enforcing these norms within their groups. But from what you're saying, it causes so many damaging outcomes for them. Why would they enforce behaviours that are not good for them within their peer group? And I think that's why our research is important, is that you don't necessarily realise what you're doing. You're just repeating behaviour that you observe around you. And, you know, I think people, when they behave, they don't really think about the cost and benefit of each behaviour. They use rule of thumbs and heuristics, and they go back to what they know. Yes. So I don't think it's a, it's a necessarily a rational and conscious, you know, enforcement. I also think that, you know, some people at the top of the hierarchy, they benefit from these things. You know, think about male-female work inequality. I don't think it's so much that men really don't want their, their wives to earn a wage. You know, I think it's good as a man to have your wife who works and brings some money. 
I think it's a bit more complicated than that. That there is some advantages to a situation. So in the case of you know male female traditional repartition of roles, it's not so much that you don't want your wife to work, it's that you don't want to do the laundry. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I have personal experience of this myself. There's a lot of toxic masculinity and the results of those terrible behaviours in the news at the moment. I wonder what you make of those incidences given your research. Uh, So what's true is that we find in our research a link between rates of sexual assault and rates of domestic assault today and how male biased the sex ratio was in the past. And Just to be clear, we don't find any link for other manifestation of criminal behavior. So burglaries and, you know, property crime, we don't find any link there. So it's really linked to this violent sexual assault and, and domestic assault. And here, so the idea is that it's really linked to this hegemonic masculinity and this male male competition that pushes men to strive for dominance and to adopt certain kind of behavior in their strife for dominance. And why do you think it's so important for us to be aware of what's happened in the past to address what's happening today or change the state of play? So I think it's important to understand that the way we behave, at least part of it, we behave in a certain way because of things that we inherit from the past. And I think understanding it is the first step to liberate oneself from it. And that's exactly what Chris is trying to do. Liberate himself, his employees, his friends, and most of all his children from damaging masculine norms. He's finding ways to run his business and support the team differently like he's setting up Team Building Fridays. And he's also started an Instagram account to talk about the issues, and it's really working. I am not really sure what I'm doing, what I'm doing (laughs) with it, where I'm going, how I'm going to do it. I don't know any of that. All I know is what I'm doing is obviously well-received. I've had multiple men actually message me privately telling me how they feel, feeling the same sort of situation and how glad they are that somebody's doing something or at least trying. I've had people from different, couple of different trades anyway, and they just said it's not just construction, it's all of these other areas as well. Someone else who's doing great work in this space in terms of liberating men from toxic masculinity is Martin Fisk. Marty runs Men's Link in Canberra, which is a not-for-profit. And among other things, what Men's Link does is pairs teenage boys with male mentors, especially if they don't have positive male role models in their own lives. When a young boy or a young teenage man sees perhaps his father or, or another male uh, figure in his life, adult male, using aggression violence or the threat of violence to get what they want, an impressionable young boy will go, oh, that kind of works. What they don't see is the massive damage to that own person's relationships, the incredible loneliness they get from their use of anger. And and what we try and do is, is work with the young fellas at the earliest possible age 
to say that, you know, violence, aggression, anger, they're not the way to get ahead in life. When somebody actually does something kind for somebody else, we need to celebrate that. There, there are opportunities for all men to act better and to s- celebrate, you know, actions that, that are good, that are kind. And it's actually quite masked. Like I went to see the movie A Star Is Born. Ostensibly a young girl falls in love with a rock star. She then becomes more famous and a better singer than him and he's incredibly drunk and jealous. And, look, I thought it was this romantic story, but a friend of mine said, did you look at his behaviour? It was coercive control. And I was quite shocked because I did not, as a feminist, take that analysis away because, as you say, it's so ingrained in our society. I was used to it. I thought that was a romantic story, you know? Absolutely. So so when you when you talk about that movie and so many other movies, there's an underlying premise that when things don't go right in your life, you take it out on other people and or you take it out on yourself. They are such damaging messages. And this is why our mantra at Men's Link in Canberra is we help young guys through tough times with the least amount of harm to themselves and those around them. And and that's trying to counter those messages. So you've had a terrible experience at home or you've had a really bad day at work or somebody's, you know, cutting in front of you in the traffic or whatever, you don't take that out on other people and you don't need to take that out on yourself. You can accept that something bad's happened and we teach the young guys skills and alternative behaviours on how to accept the fact that there's going to be tough times and how to deal with it. We tend to tell stories and we role model. Now, whether that's with professional counsellors, whether that's with our educators or the mentors. But I'll give you an example of one of our young guys and he was uh, formerly in our programs for, for a few years, still gets occasional help, but he's basically been with us eight or nine years now. His last experience with his father was his father holding him down on the ground and punching him in the head. And he talks about his time in the mentoring program and he said that his mentor taught him how to resolve conflict with words instead of his fists. How did he do that? By telling stories by saying, oh, in this situation, maybe this might work differently. And that young man has also gone from being violent in his own home when he was a young teenager, you know, 13, 14, to having a wonderful relationship with his mum and other siblings. And, you know, he talks to his mum every single day and goes and visits her once a week. And that's a a fantastic turnaround. We survey mums and schools for all of our programs every six months and overwhelmingly, you know, rates from 60 to 90% in some cases say that we've had a a positive to very positive impact on the young guys' own self-esteem, reductions in antisocial behaviour, relationships with staff, peers, family, etc., etc., And I think that's because we're showing the young guys a different way. 
Now, if you're a man and you're still listening, first of all, thank you, because I know this is a confronting topic and obviously there are plenty of men who, like Martin and Chris, want things to change. And actually that change is really happening in a lot of places. You only have to look at the way fathers today are so much more involved than their own dads were in the day-to-day raising of children or at how many of today's teenagers are so accepting of gender diversity. As well as looking at our past, Pauline can see the way these changes are helping to shape our future. You know, my hope is that this is one manifestation of people being tired of you know, boys having to do boys things and girls having to do girls things. And I think this is a very positive development. Yes, I saw someone at the petrol station the other day who presented as a man but was wearing a really nice skirt and sandals and actually had long hair. And I thought, wow, that would have been much more difficult when I was young. Yeah, I mean, you know, 100 years ago, women weren't allowed to wear pants. So we've come a long way. We just have to let boys wear dresses. It's hard to comprehend why women can wear pants and men can wear dresses. Like, I mean, in our heads, like, why? There's no justification for it. No, and actually I wrote a wonderful article at one point about all the men I know who do wear different kinds of skirts in particular, like different kinds of kilts. And I had a friend who, he lived in Fiji for a long time. They wear skirts. It was the most wonderful article. It was all these different men wearing skirts. And actually then lots more men wrote to me saying, I wish I could wear a skirt or I do wear a skirt. And they just felt it was wonderfully liberating for them. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even talking about traditional skirts. (laughs) I mean, when women started wearing pants, they were not wearing traditional female pants. They were wearing male pants. And now it's completely acceptable. But it's interesting that we do adhere to something like dresses or skirts in such a rigid way and we just think, wow, that's an impossibility. But in fact, there's no real reason for it when it comes down to it. No, there's not. (laughs) What do you see as the positives of doing something like letting everybody wear skirts or letting everybody wear makeup? Well, I think it's showing that other forms of behaviours are acceptable that are not standards of masculinity or standards of femininity. And I think this is liberating in other dimensions because if you start wearing a dress, then you can also be a nurse or a teacher and, or a stay-at-home dad or whatever you want, right? And what would the world look like in terms of the social, political, economic problems you outlined if we broke down some of these norms then? Well, hopefully a more tolerant one. And one in which people can, individuals can do whatever they want. Thanks for listening to Seriously Social. I'm Ginger Gorman. Check out what Chris is saying and doing to affect change through Instagram. His handle is Chris Fisher Co. You can also read about Pauline's work at our website, seriouslysocial.org.au. Next time, like, OMG, do you bristle at the use of emojis in work emails? Whatevs, just chillax. It's all part of the evolution of language. That's next time on Seriously Social. See you then.